0: i you this home at 43 Brockway Place in Brockport, Sweden. You'll find four bedrooms, one full and one oh, half in this that home. Oh, was, sorry. That was two weeks ago's Notice message. Sorry. sorry. Put that away. I. Right. Oh, and. Got to get rid of this page on interest rates. <laughs> just, just in case you missed out, I was just getting back at Rob from last week. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny what you said last week. It wasn't even me, it was Dan that told me the to joke. Dan Argento. Oh yeah? Yeah, yeah? He said he said I'm glad you're back. I'm tired of hearing about Nothnagel. No. That wasn't even from the pulpit, Dan. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> What's that, Dan? You want to see some more? No. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Oh, heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to be together this morning. We thank you for your presence here today, Lord. What you have done to prepare our hearts for your word, Lord. We ask that you would indeed uh, take your word this morning. That you would use it to teach us and to conform us, Lord, more into your image. We just thank you in Jesus' name. I have to say, I'm going to take a big chance here. I'm going to go for my Bible in front of them. Careful. All right. I am really impressed that all of you remember to set your clocks. I mean, typically, there, I don't know if I can ever remember a Sunday where people didn't straggle in an hour late on a clock change Sunday, and everybody remembered maybe it was the maybe people are reading the emails. Hey man, That's amazing. So uh, well done, everybody. That's uh, very impressive um, this morning's message is going to sound a little bit like the message I shared two weeks ago. Um, and that's because I'm going to take one of the one of the points that I shared two weeks ago and and that's really going to be the focus, the emphasis of today's message uh, I'm going to ask for for some participation like I, like I often will do. Um, but the question that, that comes through this series and through Easter itself is, what are you going to do with Jesus? And we looked and we said, okay, how, how did the Romans deal? How did the soldiers? Last time I shared our point was, how did the soldiers deal with Jesus? And we talked about the different ways that they, they, that they treated him and what they thought um, The question that is for us this morning is: What will you do with Jesus? And I hope that that's a question that we can ask ourselves every day. Something we can remind ourselves with every day: What will you do with Jesus? What does that question mean to you when you when when you hear me say that? What will you do with Jesus? Any thoughts? What comes to mind when I ask that question? What will you do with Jesus? Okay, Dan's answer is, whatever Jesus wants to do with me. And that's a great answer, but what, it, what does the question mean to you? Because I think there's a few different ways for us to look at that question. What will you do with Jesus? Part of what comes to my mind would be, well, what do you mean? What will I do with Jesus When? So what comes to mind? What thoughts come to your mind when you hear that question? What will you do with Jesus? All right. In order to know where I will go with Jesus, I need to know where I've been with Jesus. All right. So that's a that's a good a good question to ask. What else comes to mind? What will you do with Jesus? How will I believe? What should I believe? Do you remember we talking about um, that song from Jars of Clay called "Worlds Apart"? And the the line in the song says, what I need and what I believe, they're worlds apart. Because what you need is what the Scripture says. And what you believe is how much of what you believe what the Scripture says. What will you do with Jesus? What else comes to mind? Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get a gold star for this table over here. Anybody else in the room want to participate? <laughs> what will you do with Jesus? Okay. What will you do with Jesus? You're gonna take that as I have Jesus. Now what am I gonna do with him? I'm gonna I'm gonna give some of Jesus over here, and I'm gonna let the Jesus come off of me over here. Absolutely. I like that. What will you do with Jesus? What else comes to mind? How are you challenged when you hear that question? What will you do with Jesus? Say it again. Ooh, will I be selfish? Will I keep him in my heart? Hey, I know what I got. I got what's good, and I'm going to heaven, and I'm good. That's good. The Frozen chosen we just talked this morning about Billy Graham coming to town, the Crusade. I'm, I'm not going to miss you. I'm gonna all right, I remember going to Silver Stadium with a bunch of kids from my church, but you know what? I didn't bring any lost people with me. I didn't invite any unsaved people to come along with me. There's an awful lot of Joes out there, and I hope that since January you've been praying for Joes in your life. Here's an opportunity to bring somebody pretty low pressure. You don't have to get up and preach. You don't have to get up and talk. There's going to be like professional people doing all the work for you. You just got to get somebody there. This is a great opportunity. Once they come, once they give their lives to Christ, now you're going to have to do something with Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? You will reflect Him. You know, I mean, ultimately, do you know that the moon produces no light? What? I saw it last night. It was really bright. It doesn't produce an ounce of light. It reflects the light of the sun. And that's our job. You know, we, we talk about being salt and light. We really have no ability to create any light out of ourselves. All we simply, all we truly need to do is be reflecting the light of Christ. Amen. All right, thank you. That was that was very good. I appreciate everybody's input. What did the Romans do with Jesus? We talked about this at length. And so I'd like to see how well you were listening. <laughs> Alright. Many of you said, Yeah, I watched I watched Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. And it was very graphic. I know that my wife could not watch it. It was just too much for her. They were they were showing a portion of the crucifixion in a a retreat that she was at. And and she had to leave the room. It was too graphic for her. And a lot of people were very critical of of, of the way that Mel Gibson put that movie together. Uh, They were critical of the fact that it was so graphic. It was so bloody. It was so gruesome. Why did he have to make a movie like that? Why did they have to do that to Jesus? And the simple answer is, because it was that way. And because... He had to go through that. And in in, in fact, the movie was probably not bloody enough. It probably was very tame in comparison to the reality of what Jesus had to go through. And we don't like to talk about that stuff, and I understand it. It, It's it's difficult. I I told you before, I wept like a baby watching that. I I could not control, sobbing, watching what our Savior did for us. Not an easy task. But we need to understand how important this aspect is. The Gospels devote a third of the text to this week, this one week in Christ's life. All four Gospels talk about the crucifixion. And the suffering of Christ. Only two of them talk about the birth of Christ. And we we go crazy about Christmas. I've told you before, it's my favorite time of the year. Because it's, it's fun and it's nice to talk about the little baby Jesus. And you know what? We we do pretty well with Easter. I mean, everybody loves a happy ending, right? He rose from the dead, he conquered the grave. We like the happy ending. But we also, it's, it's so important that we understand the suffering. That We understand what Christ did, the sacrifice that he made for us. One third of all the Gospels focuses on this one week time period. And so I think it's pretty important. I believe that God feels it's very important for us to focus and understand this at the same time. I want us to fully understand the physical impact of the things that Jesus went through. And we talked about them. So I want you to start just sharing back with me some of the things that you remember we talked about a couple weeks ago. What were some of the physical things that Jesus had to go through? Do you you remember what the first thing he went through? In the garden, he he was so tortured and so tormented about what was going to happen. What happened to him first? Again, yes, he, he cried and he sweat blood. You're like, well, how is that, how is that possible? Well, I'm going to read to you. I don't necessarily like to do this, but it makes more sense. Medical doctors explain the drops of blood. Luke, who was also a doctor, refers to um, are a result of a rare medical condition called hema. Uh, it's a rare medical condition. We're not going to pronounce it. <laughs> Uh, Severe anxiety causes the release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in the sweat glands. As a result, there's a small amount of bleeding in those glands. The reason this is important um, is because we need to understand that that condition also causes your skin to become fragile and extremely sensitive. Why is that important? Because that condition that he went through, the stress that he was going through, the everything that was being produced chemistry-wise in his body. It caused him to sweat and to cry blood, but also made his skin extremely sensitive, making it more difficult, making it more painful, making it more agonizing for what was to come after this. The next thing that happens to Jesus isn't a physical pain, It is an emotional pain. He's in the garden. The soldiers come. What happens when the soldiers get there? Before his friends leave him. No, Before that. Judas, one of his 12 best friends, one of the men that has spent three years with him. Let me ask you this. Think back to a time in your life. It, it's difficult nowadays to form really strong friendships, because we just don't have the time to invest in it. But if you think back to your, your days in high school, your days in college, many of you are still close friends with those same people. Maybe you haven't seen them in 10 years. But you get together and have lunch, and it's like you were transported back 10, 20, 30 years ago. Because when you spend day in and day out with somebody, you get to form bonds very quickly. And those friendships that you had from high school and college, you were together with those people hour upon hour upon hour and you got close. Jesus was with these 12 men day in, day out. They ate together. They traveled together. They had discussions together. They joked around together. They went swimming together. They went fishing together. They were together constantly. They were close. They were tight (coughs) And one of these guys comes up, and for thirty pieces of silver, betrays you. Betrayed Jesus. And then the rest of his best friends, the other the the, the eleven that all said a, a few hours prior, as they're eating dinner, "We will never run away from you. We'll never forsake you." Peter specifically says that. They all run away. They scatter. And leave him there. And they, they grab him. Do you remember what Jesus says to them? The soldiers? He says, listen, I, I, where have you been? I've been walking around in Jerusalem all week long. Why didn't you come and get me? Why are you here at night with torches? Being secretive. He knows he's innocent. He knows they can't pin anything on him. He knows they've got to do this all in private. And they cart him away in the middle of the night. The betrayal. And of course, it was all, it was all planned. Because then he gets to the high priest's house, and who's there? The whole Sanhedrin. The whole council. They knew it was going down. It wasn't like, hey, get up, get out of bed. We, we just caught him. Everybody come in. No, they, it was all planned ahead. They were waiting for him. It was a big setup. And he knew it. So he gets there. And they begin the false trial. They begin mocking him. They begin falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused of something? How's that feel? It feels horrible. You know, my kids, it's like every day. Dad! That, no, I didn't! You can't even keep it straight. There's so much false accusation going around. And we laugh because that's certainly not to the, to the level, but how about you? You ever get blamed for somebody else's mistake at work? It's not a good feeling. Somebody ever just, just totally destroy something and, and all of a sudden everybody's looking at you? a good feeling. So they finally figure out some way, crazy way, to make him look guilty. Take a a look back a few chapters in the Scriptures. Was Jesus not one of the most amazing people with words that you'd ever see? They would come in there and they would make accusations against him. I mean, I think think Pastor Rob was sharing last week where they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. This was the ultimate trap. It was very clear in the Scripture what you're supposed to do with somebody caught in adultery. And yet Jesus had a way of diffusing the whole situation so that he finally looks up and everybody that had brought this accusation Walked away. Jesus was clever with what, he got, with what he was able to say. They tried to trap him with the taxes. And he says, whose picture's on that coin? Oh, it's Caesar's. Well, you know what? You give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You give to God what belongs to... They didn't know what to do with him. So you've got to believe that in this court, this false court, that Jesus had the ability... To, to say and do whatever he needed to do to prove himself innocent. And yet he had to sit there and take their false accusations. That's even worse. Can you imagine your kids? Dad, so-and-so. And then they have the so-and-so just sit there and go, would never happen in my house. He just sat there, didn't say a word. In fact, they got aggravated at some time. When he was before Pilate, he wouldn't wouldn't defend himself. And he was like, dude, aren't you going to say anything? Even before the priest, he finally had to, they said, by the Lord, by the Holy God, by Yahweh, we command you, are you the Son of God? And he had to respond. that. He said, it's as you say it is. You said it, not me. What happens next? They find him guilty. They send him over to the Romans. And what do the Romans do? They beat him. What was their goal in beating? Have him, recant, have him confess his, his crimes, <clears throat> but to punish him to an inch of his life. To try, and, and you know what? I, 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 I didn't research this yesterday. I had heard it said once before that the point of the beating was to try to satisfy the Jews and say, look it, he's suffered enough. He's been punished enough. Let it go. Do you know about the, the whips that they used? That they would weave into them pieces of metal and bone so that it wasn't just a lash. They would, they would throw this whip down and those pieces would grip into your skin. And then they would yank it back and it would tear things that I read said that many times that, that, that your insides started to fall out after this process was done. That intestines and, and muscles and, and tendons and sinew and was all just coming out. I don't know how people lived past the beating. They said six out of ten men wouldn't survive the beatings. They tried to beat him so severely. And the scripture says he wasn't recognizable. The soldiers would stand around. They'd sucker punch him. Do you know what that means? What a sucker punch is? It's, it's punching somebody and they can't see it coming. So somebody standing over here in my peripheral would, would throw a punch and, and land it. So I, didn't even, I wasn't even able to prepare myself. Soldiers stood around and they would sucker punch him and they'd say, Prophesy to us. Who hit you? talked about the crown of thorns. So his skin's already sensitive from the stress. They press this. Not a lot of, there's not a lot of nerve endings in your head. There's a lot of capillaries. You ever hit your head? You know, stand up into a cupboard and you can't stop the bleeding. He gets done with this whole process. We talked about they threw the, the robe on him. The blood would start to dry and scab up. They mocked him some more, gave him a staff, bowed down to him and faked worship to him, mocking, and then ripped the robe off. All of that to be done, to be the ultimate punishment, and then finally puts him up in front of everybody else, the people that days before, had been worshiping Him as He rode into Jerusalem, putting their coats down on the ground and the, and, the, and the palm branches and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Worshiping Him. Those same people are now in the crowd, some of them the same people. And they're given the option, do you want me to set free Jesus, your Savior, or this criminal Barabbas, and they said, "Give us Barabbas." How do you feel if you're Jesus at this point? Well, then what am I supposed to do with Jesus? I've just punished him as extremely as I could punish anyone—crucify him. Are you kidding me? Do you know what? Um, you know the different special forces that exist in the military. What, what do the what do the Marines have? Green Berets, Navy SEALs, Rangers, okay? Those are the elite trained forces. They are the men and women that can endure the most. They go through the most excruciating, grueling training. And so I was doing a little reading on the Navy SEALs. They go through an a time of training that is so intense that they are consuming a 7,000 calorie diet and still losing weight. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's how grueling that th- this, this program is that they're going through. At times in this training, they could go a full week and get maybe four hours of sleep. They are pushing these men and women to the nth degree. And when they're in this training, there is in, somewhere in the area that they're doing the training, there's a, there's a bell. And if it gets to the point for you, man or woman, that you cannot handle it anymore. The stress of what you're doing is just overwhelming. The physicality of what you're doing is beyond your ability. The, the pain of what your body is going through is more than you can handle. All you have to do is go up and ring the bell. And it stops. They'll have medics come and attend to you. They'll have people come and take you, and you can go get some sleep. And and you can just be a regular Navy guy. You don't have to be a SEAL. All they have to do is ring the bell. You know what amazes me about Jesus? He never rang the bell. He never rang the bell. He had the bow there. He could have done it at any time. Take a look at John 18. I'm going to read this to you. I'm talking about just after the Lord's Prayer. Jesus spoke these words. He went out with His disciples over the brook Kidron And there was a garden. We're in verses 1 of chapter 18. And he and his disciples entered, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come to him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. And when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He answered, I told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Just to display his power just to display that he had the ability to ring the bell. When he said, I'm Jesus, they all got slain in the Spirit. Do you know what that means? The presence of God came down. Bam! They hit the ground. Matthew 26 says that Jesus could have at any time summoned 12 legions of angels. That's a lot of angels. That's 72 angels. There was 72,000 angels waiting for him to speak the word and they would have come down and wiped it all out. Do you ever see something on the news where somebody's threatening the president? What they do to that poor sucker? That That man is having a bad day, let me tell you. You do anything to threaten the president and a whole lot of hurt comes down on you. Jesus had the authority, had the power, had the ability to call down 72,000 angels and they were all ready and waiting. You better believe as they're watching the Son of God be tortured and tormented that they were just hands on the sword ready to go. Wouldn't you be? If somebody you loved beyond measure was being tortured and tormented and, and there was like a, a gate right there and you, were, and you had weapons at hand and you're watching this take place and you knew all you had to do was have somebody open that gate, what would you do? You'd be ready to fly in there and take care of business. 72,000 angels? I mean, I don't even know how many there are. That seems like a lot. And they're supernatural, so I don't really think you'd need more than one or two to take care of things. I mean, think about uh, the Passover, the first Passover. All the firstborn of Egypt were killed. Who were the firstborn of Egypt killed by? The angel of death. One. 72,000. Jesus didn't ring the bell. Does that blow your mind? The level of, of love that He has for us? That He would endure all that willingly when He had the power to make it stop? I don't even have the power to... I'm running on the treadmill and I get uncomfortable... And I push stop. I can't even go a couple miles without pushing that button or going, you know what, I can't do four miles an hour. I better bump that down to three and a half. How easy is that? Do you do do the treadmill? I mean, nothing simpler. Walking along, walk a little faster, a little bit of a joggle, that's too much. Push the button, ring the bell. Here's Jesus. It would have been that simple for him. I mean, I've got the ability on my treadmill. It's kind of a nicer one. I can clip this little clip, and it runs over here, and if, I get, if my pace gets too slow and I get too far and too close to the back, it pops off and stops automatically. That's how easy it is to ring the bell for me. I'm sure all Jesus had to do was think. Think. I've had enough. And it would have been done. And yet he didn't ring the bell. So why did they do this? And Here's here's the pressure. Here's where it's going to get uncomfortable for us. They did it out of ignorance. These Romans didn't know the Scriptures. These Romans didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't even know what... The idea of the Son of God really meant. <clears throat> I mean, if you're a Roman, you, you're a polytheist, anyways. Right? You believe in lots of different gods. So here's just another one. And you know, and they probably looked at the, the Jews as being an inferior, stupid people, and this is just the Jewish thing, and you don't really get it, and complete ignorance. But is ignorance bliss? It's, maybe sometimes, but oh, officer, I didn't—I didn't realize that I was doing seventy in a thirty-five. I'm sorry, I just didn't know. Oh, you didn't know? Well, silly me, I shouldn't have stopped you. In fact, I—I I shouldn't write you a ticket because you didn't know. Does that happen? Never. Ignorance is not an excuse. I didn't know. Doesn't make it better. I didn't know. Doesn't make you innocent. Ah, uh, kids, who ate my last uh, my last cookie? Oh, Dad, it was your last cookie. I I didn't know. You see how there's a, a box of Oreos, and now there's none in it. Do you remember me saying, these are my Oreos, please don't touch them? I, I, I didn't hear you. <laughs> really? Well, Dad, you could put some of the crumbs together. And <laughs> I didn't know is not a good excuse. I didn't know. Oh, look, there's the garbage truck going by, and I didn't put the trash out at the curb. I forgot it was Tuesday. I didn't know it was Tuesday. Well, guess what? They're not making another trip for you. I didn't know doesn't make it better. It doesn't fix it. Show up for your new job in shorts and a t-shirt. I've got a friend that 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 does the interviews at her workplace. She said you'd be shocked the things people will show up for an interview in. Oh, we didn't know. Well, guess what? You don't really want a job. Showing up for an interview in shorts and a T-shirt? Are you kidding me? Kids going to McDonald's don't even do that. I don't know is not a good excuse. Did you know that you are beating the Son of God beyond recognition? Did you know that the blood that's being splattered on your face is payment for your sins? Do you know that the bruises that you're giving him are for your transgressions and that his wounds are so you can be healed? Did you know? No, they didn't know. Ignorance is not an excuse. It's not a legitimate reason. Can you imagine somebody that committed a crime standing before the judge and their attorney gets up and says, Judge, my client didn't know that that was a crime? The judge is going to say, That's too bad. When we're guilty of breaking the law, our innocence cannot become from our ignorance. Our ignorance will not defend us of our innocence. Listen to this. Matthew eleven, twenty and twenty two. In the towns where Jesus had worked most of his miracles, the people refused to turn to him. And Jesus was upset with them. He said, you people of Chorazin are in for trouble. You people of Bethsidia are in for trouble too. If the miracles that took place in your towns had happened in Tyre and Sidon, the people there would have turned to God a long time ago. They would have dressed in sackcloth and put ashes on their heads. But I tell you that on that day of judgment, the people of Tyre and Sidon will get off easier than will you. does that mean that they'll get off easier than you? Hmm? Less punishment. that, that, That God will demonstrate mercy. God may be more merciful in his judgment to those that reject him out of ignorance, but it still does not make them innocent. It doesn't acquit them of their guilt. Acts chapter 3, Peter addresses the crowd of Jewish people that had come in for Pentecost. They may not even have been in Jerusalem for the Passover. And he says this to them. Acts chapter 3, You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from dead. We are witnesses of this. He says, you are guilty for this crime. And then in verse 17, he says, but brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. And in verse 19, Peter gives them the appropriate response to their ignorance. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, the times of ref- that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Their ignorance doesn't get them off their hook, but repentance does. What will you do with Jesus? I don't know. I don't know where you are today. As I look around the room, I know most of you, and I know many of you, I know your story, I don't know where where you are with God today. What will you do with Jesus? We weren't there 2,000 years ago. But you know what? The guilt of sin is upon us. If you had been there, you would have done the same. You would have been in the crowd. You would have gotten caught up in it. You would have shouted out, crucify Him. Oh, no, I wouldn't. I know better. You would have. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Ignorance, oh, I didn't know that that was a sin. I didn't know that was the last cookie. I didn't know this was a 30-mile-an-hour zone. Ignorance doesn't make it right. But repentance... Does. We've got to stop being in that place where we try to justify the things that we do wrong and we just fess up. We just come to God and we say, God, I'm sorry that I've bothered you. I'm sorry that I've offended you. Forgive me for my sin. Even if you didn't know that it was sin, when you find out, it's time to repent. I've, met, I've had my kids do things stupid that were honest mistakes. I still make them apologize. I might not punish them for it. And the Lord's the same way. Except that as the righteous judge, when we sin and offend God, he has no choice but to have consequence. The beauty of the crucifixion, the beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus is that he's already taken the punishment upon himself. What is a voucher? Anybody? What's a voucher? Like an IOU. Alright? If I say, it's kind of like a gift card. <laughs> for your birthday or for Christmas, I get you a I get you a gift card for your favorite restaurant. And I give it to you and I say, hey, when you go to the restaurant, your meal's already been paid for, you just give them this card. What happens if you go to the restaurant and you don't give them the card? You don't get a free meal. Well, What what you just told me, the meal's been paid for. You've got to redeem the voucher. You've got to give them the card. Listen, the price for your sin has been paid for you don't hand them the card, it doesn't matter. There's a, there's a disconnect, I think, that people make. Oh, well, Jesus paid for my sin. Yeah, but you've got to cash it in. You've got to go before the king and you have to confess your own sin. Has your sin been paid for? Yes. Have you been forgiven? Yes. Well, then I don't need to do anything. Not true. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. But it's our responsibility to go before him and ask for that forgiveness. Listen, if, you're, if your kid does something stupid and offends you and hurts you and breaks something of yours and they come to you and they repent and ask for forgiveness, will you forgive them? Of course you will. I will too. But you don't get forgiveness until you've asked for forgiveness, do you? My son has this amazing capacity to make everybody in the house angry. <laughs> but he also is the most genuinely repentant of all my kids. Like when he, when he finally cools down and, and gets what he did wrong, he'll come to you with all genuine sincerity and say, Dad, will you please forgive me? And you know it's genuine. Whereas other children may flippantly throw an I'm sorry out there, I know when justice is sorry. He's genuine. We need to be genuine when we come before the Lord. We need to be able to come to Him and say, Lord, forgive me. Don't you think He at least deserves that? When we look in light of everything we talked about this morning, all that He went through, to make a way for you to be saved? To simply be able to come to Him in humility. Not just a flippant, oh, I'm sorry. to Come to Him and truly say, Jesus, forgive me. I love that verse where Jesus is hanging on the cross and He says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. He actually forgave them for their ignorance. that's huge. Repent and then turn to God so that your sins can be wiped away and that times of freshing may come from the Lord. Refreshing. That's what Jesus asks of us. So maybe some of you have shut Christ out of your life because of ignorance. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church and Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so was not the first song you ever learned. Maybe you didn't have the advantage of some other Christians that that grew up in the church. You never went to church as a kid or maybe you were a Christmas, Easter kind of family. You didn't realize that Jesus' blood was spilled for you, for your lying and your greed and your pride and your lust. You didn't know. This morning I want to challenge us to not try to defend ourselves with our ignorance any longer. To truly just turn to the Lord and say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm so sorry for the things that I've done. Let's pray together. And I'm just going to pray a general prayer, but I'm asking you this morning to do some business between you and the Lord. Maybe there's some areas of your life that you've been trying to, to justify, or maybe there's some things that God's been exposing to you lately, and, and, and maybe they were simply things that you've offended God out of ignorance. But this morning I'm believing that the Lord's trying to say, All right, it might have been done out of ignorance, but you still need to make it right with me. It's time to get that taken care of this morning. Alright? Let's pray. Jesus, it's, it's hard sometimes to, when we're confronted with ways that we've offended you and the things that we've done that are wrong. And Lord, a lot of times we, we do do them out of ignorance. We just didn't know that it was offensive to you or that it would be bothersome to you. Lord, this morning we're asking forgiveness. We're asking that you would forgive us, Lord. In light of the great sacrifice that you made and all that you went through for for the sake of, of little old us, little old me. It certainly seems like a, a small thing to ask, but Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us. You'd set us free from our unrighteousness. That you would cleanse us, that you'd make us right, that you would use us for your honor and your glory. Jesus, we thank you. Help us, Lord. Help us to become more like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, it's, some people don't relate well to sports analogies, but um, every time we make a mistake, every time we sin, God will be there to forgive us and to, and to let us start all over again. But I want to challenge you to not live a life like that. Because it limits the effectiveness of God in our lives when we do stuff like that. And I think I've shared this analogy before, but it's similar to in a football game. If your favorite player, it doesn't have to be your favorite player, if a player makes a really good progression in a, in a play, whether it's a passing play or a running play, let's say that... They, 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 that a runner breaks five or six tackles and gets through the, the line and, and runs 30 yards for a touchdown. And everybody's going crazy, but there's a, there's a little yellow piece of cloth on the ground. And the referee picks up the flag and says, There was holding on the play. What happens to the touchdown? It goes away, it doesn't count, and there's a penalty and a lot of times as believers we we try to do that we look what i did for god and i did this and i did this and this. and then people around you find out about sin in your life what does it do to that great thing you did for god nothing it takes you back don't let sin limit what god wants to do for you in your life find it out deal with it and keep moving forward Listen, that's not what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy, people you know, all Christians are hypocrites. Of course they are. Every person's a hypocrite. What makes you not a hypocrite is not that you don't sin, it's that when you do sin, you deal with it, you make it right, you move on. Anyways, that was a little extra at the end. I didn't even mean to share that part. Thank you for being with us this morning. And... uh Please be careful this week, what you listen to and what you watch, what you say, where you go. And uh, come back again next week. Bring some Joes to church. Amen.